think you support systems for? <laughs> Who the F do you think you're keeping email servers up for? Who do you think pays your bills? Hey, it's time for Arrested DevOps, the podcast where we help you achieve understanding, develop good practices, and operate your team and organization for maximum DevOps optimists. I'm Matt Stratton, and also joining me is... Bridget Kramhout. And today we're talking with um, folks in the DevOps space. We're going to talk with Tim Gross and Nicole Forsgren, and that's going to be exciting. Guess which uh, one of us is which. <laughs> the show notes for this episode can be found at arrestedevops.com slash madeupwords. <laughs> because DevOps. Right. But first, a word from our sponsors. Arrested DevOps is brought to you by 10th Magnitude, a company that figures if you're listening to this podcast, you must be pretty cool. 10th Magnitude empowers businesses to better collaborate across teams and achieve IT transformation using cloud. They enable customers to innovate, automate, and accelerate by leveraging the power of Microsoft Azure. You can find out more at ArrestedDevOps.com slash 10th Magnitude. This episode is brought to you by Datadog a monitoring tool that helps bridge the gap between operations and dev teams. Datadog brings together system metrics, changes, alerts, and events from over 120 common infrastructure tools, such as Chef, Docker, and AWS, so that dev and ops teams share their key data and alerts in a single place and collaborate on issues in real time. Datadog is available for a free 14-day trial at arresteddevops.com slash datadog. This episode is sponsored by VictorOps. Built for modern incident management, VictorOps provides a unified platform for real-time alerting, collaboration, and documentation. Driven by your IT and DevOps system data, VictorOps helps you to respond to incidents more effectively so you can minimize downtime and make being on call suck less. Visit ArrestedDevOps.com slash VictorOps to schedule a demo or start your trial. Mention you heard about VictorOps on Arrested DevOps, and you'll be eligible for some sweet discounts, too. The reason I'm excited to talk to these two folks about DevOps is we're here at GoToChicago, and Tim kicked off the DevOps track yesterday, um, and then Nicole gave an amazing talk. And I'm wondering if you can both uh, start with Tim and go to Nicole, introduce yourself, and tell us what your talk was about. Sure. Uh, I'm Tim Gross. Uh, I'm a Software engineer, product engineer uh, for Joyent. Um, if you were in the room previously, Brian Cantrell, that's my CTO, uh, which tells you pretty much everything you need to know about our company. Uh, my talk was on software-defined culture, which was the idea that we can choose technology uh, to improve our culture, both as organizations and kind of the broader culture. Um, I'm Nicole Forsgren. I am CEO and chief scientist at Dora. And my talk was about how metrics can provide you signposts, goalposts on your journey to awesome. All right. So, Matt, I think you were not in the room for both of those talks, right? That, that's correct. So I'm playing the role of the podcast listeners who are not at the talks, which is good because also as we listen to this, these episodes are about these concepts and not necessarily just about the, the conference because... Who knows right. when we're actually going to release these? Because the beautiful thing about recording six episodes in one day is <laughs> I have we now have three months worth of content. Nice. So that's phenomenal. Um, so one of the things that I know, uh, Nicole, you and I have talked about a lot when you've been on the show before, we kind of, again, talk about the science behind the squishy, right? Yes. Like it's <clears throat> the, we know that DevOps is a technical and cultural 
revolution, and maybe not revolution, that's the wrong word, right? But, but thing, and some of the pieces around this are very easily, quote unquote, measurable, or at least they seem intuitively measurable, right? Like you can see how much more quickly you deliver software. You can see your mean time to resolution and everything. But um, when you kind of think about the cultural thing, a lot of times people think like, well, I can't really put science behind that. I can't measure that. You can't put a Nagios monitor on a human. And that's something I, I, I think is always good to kind of reiterate. And like, what are some of the things that we can think about from a, to be objective about cultural transformation. Right. Or, you know, so many times people will also say, like, I don't want to do that because people lie and people are awful. So let's just use measures from our systems about people. Let's let's pull all these measures out of our HR systems. Right? I'm like, that's awesome, right? Mm-hmm. Great idea. But that isn't always going to give us the data and the information that we're really talking about, that we really want to measure. Mm-hmm. Right? So as a good example, we talk about how culture matters, right? Like who here has heard so many times or like if you're listening in, culture is important to DevOps. Okay, what do we mean when we say culture is important to DevOps? It's usually something about high trust, information flow, collaboration, reaching across silos, like doing the thing, hugging it out, ops and the hugs, right? Rainbow ponies. Right, unicorns, all the things. It's usually not something that we can pull out of an HR system. So what we might try to do is proxy that. So when I say proxy, I mean come up with something that will measure something that we can't measure directly, right? That's that's all that we what I mean when I say proxy or like stats nerds out there, research nerds out there, operationalization is another word. So another way to get to that or that you might try to get to that is like turnover. That's another step removed, right? So you can look at turnover among teams or turnover outside of teams or transfer outside of teams or transfer outside the organization. But if that's the only measure you can use, that's tough because that might actually be affected by something else. It could be affected because you got an amazing opportunity. It could be affected because, like, amazing opportunity outside of the organization, amazing opportunity somewhere else. It could be a cultural factor, right? Like there was an amazing culture somewhere else that you went to could be like a shit culture that you left. It could be that you have a partner that got a job somewhere else that you had to leave for. It could be that you were working for a great company, but another company offered me a million dollars. I love you. You could love me forever. This could be the best culture in the world, but all y'all can suck it because if somebody else is offering me a million dollars, I am out because I happen to be money motivated. Not everyone is money motivated. This girl right here, money motivated. Like I love culture but I will suck it up for a year or two if you're paying me like $10 million. That's just the way it is. So that will not tell you that I left or I stayed because of culture. So how else can I measure that? I can't get it from my systems. I can't get it from a whole lot of other things. Sometimes you can proxy through things like who's talking to each other on Slack, but that only works if that's the only way to talk to each other on Slack or on HipChat or on email, which is adorable, right, email? I remember email. email. I know. Email. But what happens if you're actually co-located? Then you've got like the drive-bys. By the way, this podcast also brought to you by Diet Coke. (laughs) Someday Diet Coke will sponsor me. Um, (laughs) One of my favorite co-workers, I love Nell. Nell Shamrell Harrington, what up? When I was super, 
stressed or even just super focused, she would just do a drive-by by my desk one day and like drop off a Diet Coke. Some days I was so focused, I didn't even notice until I looked up and noticed a Diet Coke <laughs> sitting on my desk. Oof. Right? Like that is never going to show up in any system anywhere, ever. So, all right, so we know that that won't show up. So it won't show but up. But how do you, and this so, is something I want to hear yep. Tim's opinion on too, how do you start getting to what the culture is? If, if DevOps yep. is, you know, very culture-related, so, how do you get to what it is? So how can you measure it? You can measure it through psychometric methods. So you can, you can ask people, but if you want to measure it over time in a consistent, reliable way that you can compare over time, use survey questions and use good. And now people are like, people lie. Surveys are shit, right? Because who has read any of the political surveys or seen the political surveys that have come out in the last six months? They're all awful. But there are good research-based ways to ask survey questions. So if anyone here wants, you can Google Westrom. You could, you, there's podcast notes, right? So will be show notes. Yeah, I'll, the show notes. I'll include the link. So this has shown up in peer review. It's based on really good research um, that has gone back to a researcher named Ron Westrom. This is one of the like highest predictors that we found over the last four years to predict the ability to develop and deliver software with both speed and stability. It also predicts an organization's ability to um, perform well in terms of profitability, productivity, and market share as well as other things coming out in June, State of DevOps Report 2017. We're, what, six weeks away, five weeks away from yeah. the State of DevOps Report? June 5th Depending on 6th. when this episode gets released, it may already be out. It may already be out. So maybe you've already read it. Stay tuned for show notes. Yeah. <laughs> um, it comes from Dr. Westrom's research showing that in high-risk, high-performance teams... A culture that values information flow, high trust, risk sharing, and boundary spanning, does this sound familiar, is predictive of performance outcomes. By the way, it also helps explain what happens when shit goes wrong. Does this sound familiar? Right? This is technology. This is totally us. And so we found a way. I helped rewrite his organizational typology to help, to, to help us capture how to measure our organizational culture in a way that works for survey questions. So it's six questions. The extended version is seven questions. You can use this in your teams to measure it every quarter. And this is something we can put a link in the show notes to how people can look into this. We've totally open sourced it. And that... Hey, open source. So it's the way. We just heard on the last podcast that we're, we're doing a series of them today and we just heard about open source is the way to do this stuff. I, I want to turn because at this point our listeners may be thinking, well, that sounds great in Western models and survey questions, but I'm trying to dev some ops today. And how does this apply to my practical reality? So I, I am going to turn the spotlight on Tim for a minute. We don't actually have a spotlight in this podcast room, but I'm going to turn the spotlight on you and say, okay, if you're trying to dev some ops, Keeping in mind what Nicole just said, how do you? Here we go. There, there you go. Thank you. How how do you approach that? Yeah, I guess that was kind of like um, I love this idea that of, of like direct measurement. Um, I have mostly worked in like smaller and mid-sized organizations, and so I kind of wonder like how that can even be applied to these smaller and mid-sized organizations, um, and. And maybe it's just because of the scale that I've operated at. Um, like I, w- I worry about like the whole um, 
Like you don't have a sample size that's like meaningful no. with that. Um, oh, you can do it with small teams. Still works. Okay. Yeah. I think I was not to take it, but just thinking from my experience because as a back when Nicole and I were coworkers, I got to both participate and utilize these things she's talking about both because we use this within Chef, still do what I would consider a small organization, mm -hmm. and then also do it with our customers and do it within a small team. So when I would go do evaluation and go do these kind of like journey assessment kind of thing. In fact, that was part of what we were doing is saying we need to scope down to the size of a feature team. Mm -hmm. So I I see what you're saying. Like the sample size, it probably does matter and depending on how you're looking at it. But it's to me what I saw was that what matters more is how that needle moves, right? Like I don't really care, like when I would do this kind of stuff with my customers, I shouldn't say when I did, I still do, but when I do, I tell them I don't really care where what number you land on. It's not like there's a magic score. Mm -hmm. What I want to see is the thing, the parts of this that are important to you, we should see them moving. So you have to do this regularly too, right? It's not like I sort of throw it out there and I'm like, okay, pass, fail, done, you, you, you have now DevOps, right? So I think that's the the the, the trick of it, because um, I think if you try to do it too big, you almost have context problems, right? Sure. Well, and, and at the risk of going to BuzzFeed style listicles, um, Tim did have four areas in his talk, and I would like to I would like to um, have you kind of go over those four areas for us, and then we can see where they map to some of these things that you're talking about measuring. Sure. Uh, so, so the the four the idea was it was it was four principles of software defined culture, and and they were kind of like four areas in which we can work to where our tools influence the culture that we were operating in, and it was um, reliability, uh, operability, by which I was really talking mostly about orchestration, uh, observability, and responsibility. Um, from the standpoint of reliability, what you know, the kind of the, the core point of that is that, of course, like unreliable software has these kind of ripple on knock-on effects on the rest of the organization, right? So, like, if you um, if your people are up all night because you you have a really bad on-call situation, um, they're going to burn out. They're going to they're going to have a lot of conflict with each other. Um, you're going to and the things that lead to your software being uh, unreliable, like. Um, Resume-driven development and kind of like always chasing the new thing, uh, shiny. This ch chasing the shiny um, has like a knock-on effect on risky decision making, right? So you actually normalize like, hey, it's okay to to choose something that's super new and untested, uh, which is probably not really what you want, um, unless that thing is going to have a lot of business value for you, right? But that's a that is like yeah, strategic decisions are a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I think like that has uh, was it I can't remember was it in this in the previous talk uh, talking about the idea of like every line of code that you write is a business decision right and you know a lot of that is you know a lot of that comes down to questions of reliability um, but I think that that like you know and then that kind of feeds on to from there you can go into operability like how often oh, that kind of, we can deliver software sorry and I I definitely want to dive down every single one of these sure, rabbit sure, holes right, but yeah. I want to hear from Nicole from before we move off of reliability, sure, sure, sure. Um, I want to hear like where does that idea of valuing reliability, doing you know the right thing, even if it the right thing that you can determine at with the best data available at the time, 
even if it doesn't seem like the easy thing, where does that map into what you're talking about here? Uh, so which piece? I'm trying to like think about. So when we talk about reliability and how that maps into culture, I think it's super important to make sure that our teams understand that taking risks is going to be a safe bet and risks will be shared across teams. And people won't be blamed. You're yes. not going to shoot the messenger. Be You're not going to shoot Absolutely. the person who took the risk. Right. As as uh, our, our good friend Charity Majors would say, if uh, you haven't broken production, you're not trying. You know, sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah. which might be a little bit of a glib statement. but yeah. Well, and you know what? I really loved when that S3 outage happened, right? And we know that y'all, we're all familiar with that S3 outage, right? And we know we can that put a link in the show we, notes. We, yeah. we, use, we use the internet. We use the internet. <laughs> well, and we know that it was from like a fat finger incident. You read that postmortem, nowhere does it say human error. Sure. So that actually took down production. They did a full postmortem, postmortem, they published it, and nowhere does it say human error. Because, okay, you're not trying hard enough, but also, nowhere did they have like resiliency in their systems. Like that speaks really, really highly to your culture. And that speaks really, really highly to your systems and your backup. And also like to so many other things upstream and downstream. Yeah, so that's a really good point that I hadn't considered before. That you build for when you build for reliability, you also are implicitly saying, and we're not going to blame people when the reliability is not as we originally intended or hoped or well, imagined it would cause, be. Because you can't, you can't work around human error. I mean, you can work around, I'm sorry, but like humans make mistakes and that doesn't scale, right? So right. we can't say, yep. my reliability is that people aren't going to fuck up. You know, we <laughs> right. sort of have right. to assume That's people are going to fuck pretty up. pretty bad right? bet. Yeah. So, so that, I think, is where that, but I could see how that cultural tie happens because if it's like, okay, if I know that if somebody fat fingers, they're not going to get fired, then I now have to code defensively mm-hmm. to prevent that because I can't sit there and say, well, you shoulda, coulda, woulda not done that, you know, ops person or whatever. Like that maybe does that cultural piece of that speaks to understanding how to build yep. a reliable system. I, and I think, I, I think there's kind of, um, Interesting point in that, in the notion of what you're talking about proxy measurements, because I think a lot of these things become in themselves proxy for some of your people measurements. Always, um, always. So, and that's such a great point, right? So many times people are like, oh, well, my system measure just measures. You know, your survey measures are proxies. Um, sorry, your system measures. Your system measures. Every, anything that's a metric becomes a proxy. It will always end up representing something in someone else's head. Wait, you're saying that disk and CPU and host uptime are not the most important things? What? They're important. But we're always like, oh, that's just, that's a measure. That's a pure measure. You sure about that? They're they're important, but they also are only important insofar as they inform whether or not you're succeeding in whatever your goals are. Yes, insofar as that they represent something of meaning to someone. Right? They represent something. So I was a performance engineer for a long time. I did hardware performance. You want to know what was the most important thing to me forever? RT. Response time was my jam. Why? Because that means performance to me. I, I guess what, I guess the, the point I was trying to make is that it, they're, they are not just proxies for, um, 
other systems components, right? Like that, you know, like like CPU could yes be a uh, you know CPU load could of course be a proxy, uh, probably a poor proxy for response time, but things like the system uptime is often a proxy for what your culture and what your people are doing. Yes. It's a proxy for whether or not you patch regularly. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so long system uptime, kind of an anti-pattern. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean more like, you know, um, not having outages, I guess. Right. Oh, yeah. like, sure. like, like a certain uptime of your service. Right, yeah. 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 Right. Service. Like, well, and that, and that yeah. takes us very nicely back to point two about operability. So. Sure. If we if we go down that rabbit hole, what would you say? Sure. Well, so that point was largely about you know making sure that um, it, it was about two things. One, making sure that um, software can be delivered quickly, you know, with the velocity that we need according for our business, um, but also about um, making sure that the behavior of applications is understandable and self-contained with the team that actually owns it. Um, there's a bit of a trend right now where a lot of people are saying push this intelligence out of my application, make my application as dumb as possible, and make it into some kind of third party, either my as a service or my, you know, my platform maybe. Um, and, I, and, I, and, and my point around that is that what that does is it creates a culture, a cultural uh, imperative that says, you know what, this is okay if we don't understand these things. And, and, and I think that, that that has kind of like a lot of knock-on effects about um, not just like the the ability to deliver, but also it creates this kind of like greater division between you know, well, the platform team owns that and the development team owns the other thing. When you're creating these black boxes, right? You're just uh, sort of saying yeah. like, not it, right? Yeah, right. And then right, right, I don't right, have absolutely. to understand that. So again, it provides me from a cultural perspective. It's a like you said, it creates this division, which is that's somebody else's problem, but it also means that I now have a great excuse. Right, which right. is, well, I don't understand how that thing works, so how could I have done it better? And right. So I think I'm hearing that microservices are a game of, you know, point the finger and plausible deniability. Like, All of IT is where, a game of point does, the finger. Where does this fit in with the... Uh, Wait, you, you know, mean containers won't fix my culture? <laughs> what? <laughs> so where does this, this idea of you want the stuff to be operable and understandable by the people who are operating it, how does that fit in? to uh, what you're talking about. It really fits into a few cases. And one that like immediately comes to mind is, you know, I, I have this other talk that I love or, you know, this, this theme that comes up so many times about how metrics shape your culture and how metrics can really help you communicate across boundaries so many times. But it really becomes problematic when we have teams that are doing drastically, drastically different teams, particularly if they only keep their metrics to themselves and they never try to communicate across those boundaries. And metric, so it's also challenging if they don't measure anything or if they don't ever try to communicate anything externally. And so if they try to maintain or create metrics, that can help or it can hinder, right? And so if they create any of those externally, it can be helpful until they sometimes try to communicate that across, right? Like you were just saying, like you do that thing and it's completely external until they're like, they try to throw that container over the wall or that app over the wall, and they're like, oh, here's my metric. It should totally work for you. What are you talking about? And the other team's like, wait, what do you mean? This makes no sense to me. They're like, oh, well, that's Steve. Like, this is my metric Steve, or this is my metric Jane, or this is my metric something. It, it, it works for me. It should work for you. This means I'm doing well. well and I'm going to put Tim on the spot for a minute just because I have worked for Tim before, actually. And so we, we've we have obstinate anger, mm-hmm. and like, what what would you Sometimes say? Sometimes a lot of it. Yeah. <laughs> what would you say um, 
make, it makes or breaks operability in terms of what Nicole's talking about there. Yeah, I think, I think, and I think when we were working together, maybe our organization didn't do this very well. Um, I think that the notion that what is it that you're measuring about your systems um, is meaningful to the consumers of those systems and not just as a uh, CYA, right? Because there's kind of an anti-pattern where it's like, well, yeah. you know, we're reporting some kind of vague notion of motion of service uptime, but that's not really, really what you need, right? What I really need to know is that um, the system's going to be available for me when I talk to it. I need to know, you know, when I should expect that it's going to be, you know, I... I need uh, if I if I have a service that is you know a cl consuming your service, I need to know if I'm being throttled. Uh, I need to know that if um, I need if my clients need to do uh, you know refresh their service discovery, if that's you know how you orchestrated everything. Um, so having these kind of like feedback mechanisms in those metrics, I think, is really um, a thing that a lot of organizations don't do very well. I think. Um, Absolutely. Well, and and even finding like taking a step back, or I guess another way to think about it is a step up, right? How do your metrics tie into the overall, if not organizational goal, go up a step higher to the line of business goal? How, how yeah. does what I'm doing contribute to something higher so that we have a reason to understand why our metrics should relate? There's a, there's a really good talk that um, James Turnbull has done uh, about his book, The Art of Monitoring, where he argues that uh, you are not the consumer of your metrics. And I think that that's a trap I know I've fallen into, and I think a lot of people who are more ops-focused fall into, is they build dashboards and alerts that point to the things that are going to wake them up in the night and the yep. things that cause them pain, but yep. don't necessarily talk about those line of business goals. Yep. Inputs okay. and outcomes. I think it's important, and one of the things, too, I want to kind of bring back, and it, it's maybe taking a, a more simpler kind of statement of what we're saying, but I know just from my experiences with, with, with folks out there in the world that, you know, we're kind of sitting here in our echo chamber of like, this is just, you know, we already, we already heard this a hundred times. But when we think again, so Nicole said it, right? It's outcomes. Outcomes are like the only thing that matters. I don't give a shit about anything else. The outcome is what matters. And specifically what matters is the business outcome. Because why does your company exist? To make frickin' money. That's your goal. Go read the goal. Your company exists to make money. And, and there can be, read and the, the people goal. can have different read goals the goal. if they well, work in a nonprofit or educational okay. institution or whatever, well, government. Read, read whatever the, 20, the business is. Read outcome. the 2017 stage of House Okay. So, okay, <laughs> but, so take it away from the make but, money thing. But, I mean, making money is obviously very important, but also uh, helping your stakeholders, I would say more generically, helping your stakeholders, whoever they may be, get to the goals that they care about. So let's take it. Make so if it's it shareholders, simpler. then it's money. But if it's say the point is, what is the business outcome of your company? If you're a nonprofit, you still do have a business outcome of some kind. A, a mission. A mission, right? right? So the thing is, we go back to that, and then I, I think again about so the outcomes are what matter. So to to it's I know it's a gross, you know, uh, simplification, but we sit there and said like, okay, for example, who really gives a shit? about if I've got 100% CPU. Because you know what? If my service is performing appropriately, awesome. That just means I'm using all of my stuff, right? Like, this is just like a dumb example, but I, I actually yeah. had this in my life where I had a sysadmin who was freaking out that SQL Server was using all the memory on the server. We're like, that's what it's supposed to do. That's why we have memory. See, right? also Hadoop. <laughs> right, right. So, I mean, we got to think about that. And then it's another, just to think always about outcomes, 
one of the things I talk about when I'm helping people with Chef, and this could be true whatever thing you're doing, right? This is a testing scenario. So let's say I'm writing some Chef code that's to configure my web server. What I don't want to do is write a test that says, did this install Nginx? Because my point was not to install Nginx on the server. Who gives a shit? What matters is it's a web server that does the thing it wants to do. So while I know for some people this is going to sound like, duh, I talk to enough people to know that this is a really, 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 and if there's... Your, your, your test should be looking at ports 80 and 443, because yep. whether or not the shit got installed is not important. <laughs> and you may change, yeah, that's, again, who cares if yeah. the package is there if it doesn't re return? So it's like, and mapping it, again, back to the outcome for the business. Like you said, every line of right. code is a business decision. What is driving that? Um, Sasha Bates told a story on the ship show years ago about she was working for a large retailer. It was right before Christmas. And they wanted to, you know, the, you know, feature team or product team or whatever was like, we need to push this release. And Sasha's like, oh my God, this is like, we can't make a change right now because of stability, stability, stability. And her boss said, Sasha, your job is not to keep the website up. Your job is to deliver the features that the company needs. And that's like... <laughs> I mean, I think the company might need a feature of being up. I'm just well, well, no, there. but it was, but but it was when you get into these micro and, and like Tom Limoncelli talks about too, right? Like it's we sit there right. and I. So and I've I've got this great yeah. story of so I chaired the Lisa conference. If, if anyone's heard of Lisa, it's a Usenix conference. It's a large installation system administrator. It was 2014, and like I love my Lisa crowd, right? Like a bunch of like old, yes. See, we've got it. We've got a Lisa. Uh, an old sage shirt in the in the crowd. Um, that's the old like sysadmin user group. Um, Courtney Kissler gave my closing keynote, and she was she had just been leading the Nordstrom transformation, and she's giving this closing keynote, and like my massive ballroom is full of what's a good way to say this. I love my old school old timers. Old timers. Old timer, old fashioned, love them hard, sysadmin types. And Courtney starts telling this um, story of business transformation. And we're on IRC, right? This is like too early for Slack days, really. So we're only well, that on could IRC. Also be 18 months ago. I mean, yeah, it's because this was 2014, <laughs> right? And so they're like, Ugh, why is she up there? This talk. Ugh. Also, I love Courtney because this was a last minute stand in because my closing keynote had a medical emergency. And they're like, super polite though, because love them hard, right? And they're like, this is boring. This is awful. So Tom Lemichelli, me and Tom are like, listen, pay attention. Who do you think you support systems for? <laughs> Who the F do you think you're keeping email servers up for? Who do you think pays your bills? Who do you think this is for? Listen to her story. And by the way, Courtney Kistler has a hardcore, badass ops background. She's up there in a dress and heels because love her for her fashion. We're like, listen to her story. Put yourself in her shoes. She's a like legit ops girl. Listen to the story. And they're like, hey, okay, we're trying. I don't know this, I don't know this word. And so we're doing like like the first 10 minutes, we're doing just a little bit of like business translation. And all of a sudden, everyone's super into this story because like, we're like, give me 10 minutes. Just give me 10 minutes of like, we'll do business translation for you. 
and suddenly they were super into it. But they didn't realize. We're like, like you said, it's about outcomes. Because who do you think pays your damn bills? Who do you think pays your salary? And I think that's and a, then they got it. And that's I think that's a really good point. We need to link to that talk in the show notes for sure. But I think oh, it was so good. I think that's a good point because, and I want to I want to bring this back to. I don't want to. We're going to run out of time if we Sorry. stick on operability so for excited. too long. Even we though two more. hashtag ops <laughs> life because I love this stuff. But um, that fact that we operate these systems for a purpose is yes. so key. It's so important. But I don't. I could stay on operability all day, but we do have four we want to hit. So I will say Courtney won them over hard. I love it. So great. No, I love it. All right. So point three. three. So I'm gonna, uh, was observability, um, yes. which we kind of started to talk about a little bit. But I'm going to mm-hmm. jump ahead a little bit to the fourth one, which is responsibility. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Uh, because it dovetails a little bit off what you're. Uh, something because like, your four things are a map. They're not, you know. Yeah, they're, they're yeah, not. They're not a race. It's a, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's a map, a so it's unsorted every Thanks time. A lot. Yeah. Every time we do this podcast, we'll <laughs> yeah, talk about yeah, it in a different, different order. Yeah. It's fine. Um, <laughs> I, I, yes, the outcome, right, and the business outcomes and the mission. But I think that uh, where the fourth one starts to come in is to start thinking about externalities as well. Um, and one of those externalities, and I, I, I try to, I try to emphasize this when I say to people, like, what is it, you know, like, when I talk to people, to, to, when I'm talking to folks about containers, that's what our company's all about, right? And I say, you know, you're not, you don't want containers, right? Like, you don't care about containers. You have a mission for your organization, and you have the people who you're working for, or who are working for you, right? And they're, and, and making sure that they have fulfilling lives, right? And whatever. So, like, there's an externality to that, and so I always like like to put the asterisks on. Yes, the mission, the mission, the mission is like yes, and your people, um, because I think that you know, and because the people are not just there to fulfill your mission. I mean, yes, they are. Like you know, I guess if you're you know the CEO of a public company and you're having that like terrible thing that people say, uh, which is that they're the fiduciary only fiduciary duty. Yeah, fiduciary <laughs> duty, which is bullshit by the way that's like that's not actually a law like people say well they're legally required that's not a law um anyway um yes they have that but like it's not at the extent at the expense of externalities um so just you know that that is my like my thing i always like to add as an asterisk to that question is the question of responsibility and like what are we doing to the people who we're working with um and you know when they leave and you know and you can translate that, but into like, you know, long-term business goals. But like, I think it's a proxy, right? So, um, you, you know, you can. Well, now I'll point to all my research. So data, the last four years, fixing your technology, fixing your culture, fixing all of your process. We show, we found that high performing teams, all of their employees are 2.2 times more likely to recommend their organization as a great place to work. And all of you, the research that also comes out of Harvard has found that employees that recommend their workplace as a place to work show and predict higher revenue growth. So even if you want to be a selfish asshole, (laughs) make your workplace as a better place to work and it increases hiring, retention, and revenue. So go ahead and please be selfish and keep your employees because... Yeah, because hiring people is hard and expensive. And I would love a quick show of hands. Who here works someplace that's hiring right now? I don't see any hands not up. So... (laughs) Yeah, sorry. Yeah, that's, that is, I think, that is a really good point. And I want to dive into that more at the end of the podcast, but I am going to. And I travel internationally and everyone is having difficulty hiring. And it's way more expensive to hire than it is to retain. 
Mm-hmm. And it's super difficult to find good people who know your code base, who, code base, who know your tech, who fit with the team, who fit with the culture. It drives continued retention. It drives revenue. No, it's, it's, Don't it's be a huge. jerk. It's, it's totally huge. But I, I do want to dial it back I'm to the observability I'm glad to see that there's data piece, that backs that up, though. Because oh, I've got know, data. My guts wants to tell me that, but it, yeah. that there's I've data. I've got data, and, and it's been replicated at several other places. And it's, it's not just the truthiness in your gut. But I do want to, I want to talk about the, the observability piece because I think that actually ties in really strongly to how happy you can be working someplace. Because if you have no idea what's going on with your code that you shipped or with the code that you're supporting in production, um, if you have no way to tell what's happening whatsoever, I guarantee you, you will have some very unhappy on calls. So like, can give us a little bit of a, a picture of what you mean by observability. Right. Um, so, in in the talk, I was talking about uh, you know, to some respect about monitoring um, and kind of going from the traditional view of monitoring to a view that is more about like how do we build tools that allow us to kind of like explore in a more iterative way, um, particularly uh, in a collaborative way. So not like you know, well, there's some lone sysadmin staring at a screen that's a dashboard, right? Um, I think the stronger point, though, was about debuggability, which uh, Brian talked a lot about today in his keynote, which is this idea that you know having tooling that allows you to have full and complete understanding over what's going on in your software um, is really key to building a culture where your people feel empowered to actually do that. Right? Um, if you if your people can't figure like if if at some point you have to say well you know and then magic happened right because it went into the black box that we don't understand then a miracle occurred right right and and you know and that black box is you know maybe it's the operating system oftentimes unfortunately it's even at uh, like a stack a level up from the stack in there like it's in your platform maybe it's in your web server where it's like well and then you know nginx does that thing with its event loop and we don't really know how that happens um something's going wrong shrug i don't know what um and and being and having to like reach that point and not being able to push past that means that yes you have less reliable software because you can't solve the problems and that makes everybody unhappy but it also i, I think as as um you know technical professional professionals it's very dissatisfying to reach that point where you're like well we just have to move on from this now and you know because you know because you know in your heart like it's a knowable thing right this is all software it's not like it's not magic it's not like really like, you know, it's not the natural world where like, well, you know, then we get into physics and we don't really know what's happening. Um, we, we know that we can do that and, and that's kind of why we get into this stuff. I, what, is I would, the, what does the data show here? I'm actually really interested in that. Oh, so I've, I have thoughts, I have feels, y'all get comfortable? <laughs> so I would take it one more step though because, so research is found. It's like the worst thing. So that's a drinking game with me. Research shows drink. Um, so that's one key piece, but the second key piece to really drive performance and money or organizational goals and drive mission goals is having the data and then making business decisions on the data. The learning, the being the learning organization based on that, right? Yeah. Right. Well, and not so part being the learning organization, but like really acting on it too. Because like there's the thing where like you know the stuff and that's awesome. <laughs> And then, and like, then you stop. sorry, <laughs> suck it. Like, dot, 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 profit. You know, yeah. or like, like the stereotypically dudes in the suits are like, cool story. But like, I know that I, it, I'll be fine. 
I know what I'm going to do. I don't need your data. No. You know what? The hippo, highest paid person in the organization, sucks at this. Use your data. And we know that that's what drives performance. And then, you know, we also know that there are a few categories of, I talked about this yesterday. There are a few different categories of measures that you can take, right? So not everyone is really instrumented to the hilt. Like, not very many organizations have that. And so if you don't have all of these insights into your data, like if you don't have data about systems from systems, at least start doing something, right? You can, you can instrument or you can find insight into your systems from like surveys, right? You can ask people, right? You can ask them. This is a good one. What dependencies does this have? What dependencies does this have? Can you, can you roll anything out in your systems without having to ask other teams to do it? Yeah, what stands in the way of you being able to deploy that microservice? Because right. if you can't actually deploy that microservice without deploying these other three ones too, it's possible that you've built a distributed monolith. Right. right. If, if you have nothing at all, you can just go ask all of the team leads, are you testing? Do you have automated tests? Do you have function tests? Do you have, like, just go ask everybody and then start rolling it up. Even if you don't have, like, really, really solid... I mean, my favorite would be a whole bunch of really good psychometric survey methods. That'd be awesome. Call me. I'm Adora. But if you don't, like, at least start asking, like, what types of things would be good? Do we do, have we shifted left on security? Ask people if you're including security early in the process or if you're only doing pen testing or if you're doing any security at all. Start thinking about the things that are important. Look at the state of DevOps reports, right? There's a giant list of things that are good to do. Start asking around just and, fi- and just do a big yes or no checklist. And it's do fine. it iteratively, right? Like this is the yeah. same thing if we think about with testing our software. We don't wait until, we don't sit and say, I don't do any tests of my software until I've written every test there might possibly be. Right. Well, some people actually want to do that. Some people are like, I'm not going to do a, a pipeline until I have a whole bunch of tests. That's bad, so don't do that. And then don't do that with this. It's fine. Like one question is better than none, right? So yep. you can always kind of build into that, and you can say like, even if and, it's even yep. if it seems like this is the simplest thing in the world, I'm just going to ask this one thing that is that is information you didn't have yesterday, right? And then you you can start with surveys or asking people, right? Start with surveys, start instrumenting your systems, and then as you instrument more of your systems, you can start sunsetting out the surveys. And there are some things that you can get with surveys that you will never be able to get with systems. A good example of this is version control. And people are thinking, I can get version control out of my systems. Mm, sort of. Also sort of not. Why? Because your systems can tell you what is in version control. Your systems cannot tell you what is not in version control. <laughs> Only your people can tell you what is not in version control. Or if the stuff that's in version control is subtly wrong and not the one you actually use when you need something. Yes. <laughs> Only your people can tell you what is bypassing your systems. I actually, and that's a useful check. That's a super useful check. I would, I would love to ask Tim really quickly. I know we're running a little low on time because that always happens with these podcasts, but I would like to, um, point, because I think it's a good illustration of this, the, the trying to be methodical about setting checks and, you know, uh, like capturing those things you don't, you didn't know that you didn't know. Um, I know that, uh, you built a bunch of automation to capture the state of our AWS account before we moved from classic AWS to um, 
you know, the, the new style, I forget, the VPC account. VPC, right, right. And um, can, you, can you address really quickly in this context, like how you try to even capture all of the things when you're, you're not even sure what questions to start with? Sure. Well, you don't, right? I mean, you, you can't. Uh, so what you what do it you, iteratively, right? You do it iteratively, and you start with you know much in the same way that when we were talking about um, what is it what is it that we're measuring, you start with the things that are the top level, right? Like what are the business goals, right? So measure me, you, you know, it's more important to measure the you know is the service up than it is to measure the CPU, right? In the same way, when you start going down this path of like, well, how do we how do we recognize what even our systems are, it's more important to say, like, what are the fundamental things that we can't even start with, right? Like, like, well, we need the network first because everything, nothing else runs without the network. So that was, you know, for, for us, that was the first step to do the documentation. Need the network, then we need the pieces where stuff talk to each other. Right. Uh, yeah, and so it, you know, and it, it becomes And that's not problem. necessarily the super easy things, right? I, and right. I'm guilty, like, I say this, like, don't do this. I'm guilty of that, too. Sometimes, like, so I used to do uh, a bunch of long systems, and I'd be like, Occasionally, I would start with the that's the overall stuff. Sometimes I'd hit the day where I'm like, my brain hurts and I need a quick win. So I would totally instrument the thing that was just super easy, just so I could check something off my list. Resist resist too much of that because then I would have a whole bunch of stuff just to show I had done it. The problem with that is that, right? We're talking about culture a little bit. The problem is that once you've instrumented it and measured it, people start paying attention to it. It's yeah. like, oh, that's kind of a problem. Because that shapes people's behavior. And, once and it you makes something... them think it's important too, right? Yes. Like you've instrumented this because you're like, I just want to do that. So you put that there and now you've created this culture that we care about CPU. How, how does that, well, how, and how does that apply? So I guess this is always my question with the, the psychrometric. Like how does that, how does that worry about like measuring the thing changes the thing apply to this kind of psychrometric method where you're, we're saying, you know, we're going to ask people what they think about these, you know, different aspects of the organization. Like how do you avoid changing the behavior because now you've given people a hint that you might care about these things. So, like, there's a little bit of back and forth. So by asking them, you send a signal that it matters. Mm-hmm. But you, So you have to be careful about how you send that signal, right? So there's the, there's the signal that's like, we're going to ask about it. It's cool. We're asking about it because we're in it for, like, the continuous improvement, transformation journey. We're just asking about it. That's super fine. Although, just by collecting metrics at all, you're sending the exact same signal. So, sure. by the way, everyone who's like, oh, no, I don't do that because I just collect metrics, you're setting the same signal. Like, let's be real. Don't kid yourselves. That's happening. Just by appearing in a report, it's a thing. Well, the and- problem happens if you're like, you will answer 10 on this 1 to 10 or heads will roll. Yeah. Like, that's- <laughs> how, how many people... Have this. This just. I just want to say this is just funny because this just happened. Did you just buy a car? Yes, that's exactly what happened. So we went. We my wife and I bought a car on Saturday, and the sales guy was like, "Okay, they're going to ask you a survey, and it's super important because basically, if they don't get ten out of ten on everything, it's considered failure." And the funny thing is, this also happened to me with my Microsoft Tam. Years ago, because he was like, "You have to understand with the way they did the survey, if it wasn't perfect." It was fail. It was yep. it was a scale of one to ten. But it was really pass but it was fail. really pass fail. And then what happens is it's totally jacked because you're like I have a re- like with the car salesman maybe not but like my Microsoft Tim I like this guy sure, right I'm sure. like I don't want to screw up your compensation so I'm yeah. actually not going to tell the truth because I might want to say I'm going to give you eight out of ten which is awesome like great but but by being honest. 
you know, yeah, but it's, yeah, that was funny. That and, and we're almost out of time, and I know we could go down a, an entire yeah. rabbit hole with that, too. So I just want to give our, our panelists, like, a final thought. Okay, this DevOps thing, it's not all squishy, like, you know, love and hugs. We do have a lot of actual actionable metric stuff here. Um, what is, like, you know, Nicole, then Tim, your, your one piece of advice for people who really want to try to measurably improve this stuff? What do you do next when you walk what, out of this What is room? their step when they go home? My one piece of advice, if you really want to improve your DevOps journey, I would say, or your transformation, I would say start measuring. Do it in an, uh, it's going to be a long one piece of advice. Mm-hmm. Um, start measuring, do it in an honest way, and keep measuring periodically. Whatever periodically means for you, and, and do it honestly, right? Even a bad baseline is super powerful. And then... Go from there? Go team. Yeah, I love it. Tim, what do you think people should do if they're trying to dev some ops? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what I would have said. So, you know, <laughs> uh, you know. I'll, I'll, add, I'll add to that, um, you know, make sure that you're measuring the right things, um, the things that are, you know, that you, you'll, you will chase what you measure, so make sure that you're measuring yes. the right things. And, and I think that's the only cautionary. Yes, say what that. he said. Yes, awesome. Nice. I'm so glad we Go agree. Team. Yeah, there's no, there, was, there was no screaming on this stage at all. <laughs> we didn't even plan this. Yeah. yeah. They, they, we did not, in fact, pregame because we decided to YOLO this right out into production. Right. I didn't even know what the, we didn't even know what that <laughs> no, question was. This was amazing. You guys did that well. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, this has been a great episode. Um, both, both of you all have been on the show before, so we're not surprised. We, we love to have you on again and again and again. Mm-hmm. Um, those of you who listen to the show that get tired of having the same guests, too bad, because we love our <laughs> guests. But if you would like to be a guest on the show, you can always reach out to us at shows at arrestedevops.com. Um, the only thing I say is, come to me with an idea. Don't just say, I just want to be on the show, because <laughs> you've just given me more work to do, which doesn't resolve well. But uh, head over to arresteddevops.com slash words for the episode show notes, which will include links to the DevOps uh Whatever thing Nicole talked about. What It'll be great. State of DevOps report. State, State of DevOps, DevOps report. State of DevOps report. Of my mind. And uh, the Westroom stuff and all sorts of good stuff. I promise we'll have real show notes on this episode. Um, <laughs> also at ArrestedDevOps.com, you'll see links to our sign up to our newsletter. We totally don't spam you, um, except that I did just send out a spam about an upcoming episode with Nicole again that we're doing with the Food Fight oh, Show. Be amazing. Um, if you're listening to this later, it probably will already have happened, but those of you here... It'll still May, be great. It's May live. 8th, we're doing the DevOps call-in show, um, which is basically Car Talk for DevOps, hosted by Nicole. Uh, come at her. And... Uh, <laughs> All the questions. All the questions, right? And uh, also, if you're into that Instagram thing, by the way, we're at Instagram.com slash DevOps. We post pictures. I am way too old to care about Instagram. Yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> uh, and go find us in the iTunes store. If you do that, give us a review. Uh, not for our egotistical reasons, but it helps other people who want to find DevOps podcasts. Find also, us. also tell them they're amazing. Well, yeah, you do that, too. I guarantee if you write a great review of us, we will read it on the air. I guarantee if you're Michael Ducey and you troll us in a review, he will also read us on there, read it on the air. So uh, thank you so much, Tim and Nicole, for joining us. Thanks. This is super fun. Thank you for taking the time here at the conference. So uh, I'm, I'm Bridget at Bridget Crumhout. And I'm Matt at Matt Stratton. We're Arrested DevOps, and remember? There's always DevOps in the banana. <laughs>